0: This podcast has been brought to you by AD Banker & Company. They have been helping those new to the industry to pass their insurance licensing exam since 1979. Find out more about how they can help you license your producers and staff at adbanker.com. Joseph Brady is the Executive Director of the NASAA, which stands for North American Securities Administrators Association. The NASAA is the association of state, provincial, and territorial securities regulators in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. NASAA and its members are committed to protecting investors from fraud and abuse in the securities transactions, and their activities focus on licensing, enforcement, and investor education. As Executive Director, Mr. Brady is responsible for oversight of its centuries-old mission of investor protection across North America. Mr. Brady's responsibilities have included supporting its representative on the Financial Stability Oversight Council and various committees, including the Broker-Dealer and Investment Advisor Section Committees and the CRD-IARD Steering Committees. He has led several initiatives to implement provisions of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act, affecting the regulation of investment markets and advisors. Prior to joining NASAA, Mr. Brady served as chief counsel of the Securities Division of the Mississippi Secretary of State. In this role, he managed enforcement cases brought by the division and represented the Secretary of State in matters before state courts and Administrative Tribunals. Mr. Brady is admitted to the Bars of Mississippi and the District of Columbia and is a graduate of the Mississippi College School of Law and the University of Southern Mississippi. Please welcome to our program Joseph Brady. Good morning, uh, Joey. How are you doing today? Doing well, Dennis. Say, it's great to uh, have uh, you on our program. uh, uh, the, uh, uh, how long have you been the executive director, uh, there at, uh, NASAA?
1: Um, so I have been the executive director at, uh, the North American Securities Administrators Association, or NASA for short, um, since May of 2015. Um, we do use the acronym NASA. We've been around since 1919, so we had it, we had it first even though um, I understand that there might be some confusion when people hear, hear the term NASA, but what we're talking about here is the uh, membership association for the uh, agencies and the states that are responsible for enforcing their uh, state uh, securities laws. Our membership also includes the uh, provincial regulators and territorial regulators in Kansas, So As well as the uh, securities regulator uh, in Mexico.
0: Does every state have a securities uh, regulator?
1: Yes, they absolutely do. Every state, uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands, um, and District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico as well.
0: And what's the primary, uh, just for our listeners' benefit, to, to identify the difference between a state securities regulator and, for example, FINRA? Which is more of your federal, uh, regulatory, self-regulatory body. What's the, uh, is that a dual role or a, in a parallel path or how does, that, how does your interaction there?
1: Sure. So, um, state security laws, which are sometimes referred to as blue sky laws, were uh, first developed in 1911 in the state of Kansas, actually. Um so state securities laws have been around about two decades longer than the first federal securities law which was enacted in nineteen thirty three, uh for which uh created the Securities and Exchange Commission. FINRA is a self-regulatory organization. It is uh not governmental, it is a membership uh organization, uh, and its members consist of the broker dealer firms um, that uh buy and sell securities for their accounts and the accounts of others.
0: So does each state regulator uh, get together uh, with you uh, several times a year to go over uh, model regulations and share best practices and share stories on bad guys and bad practices that have been found happening out there in the country?
1: Um, So our members meet twice a year, um, once in D.C. And once in a location that our members select, um, that's the our business meetings, our membership meetings. But um, our members are constantly interacting and engaging with one another and also with uh, the staff here, what uh, we call the corporate office staff here at NASA. Um, we're a small staff of 18 people, um, but we work very closely uh, with our members. Throughout the country in various committees. So someone goes onto our website, they could learn, you know, a little bit about our formation and see that we have committees that, um, cover a broader range of topics from the regulation of broker dealers through to investment advisors, along with how companies raise money in the capital formation context, um, and a whole host of committees. We have, um strong engagement from our members in our communities, and that's oftentimes where those discussions about recent enforcement actions or uh, the need for a model rule or a model regulation
0: um, happen. Now, I I noticed in your bio that uh, you uh, came from Mississippi and that you were involved uh, as an attorney there. Uh, Were you involved in securities regulation in Mississippi, or is that something that uh, you took on uh, when you uh, got to uh, D.C.?
1: Uh, no, I was I was actually a securities regulator back in Mississippi, um, starting in 1999. Uh, the, each state, well, no, I shouldn't say each state, but there are differences uh, in the context of which agency at a state uh, is responsible for regulating securities. So, for instance, five of our members um, have the securities regulator within the office of the attorney general. Um, another about 10 or so have it in the Secretary of State, and that, uh, that's the model that Mississippi follows. So in 1999, I joined the staff of the Mississippi Secretary of State's office um, as a securities regulator and worked there uh, for six years before coming to NASA in 2005.
0: Yeah. You know, what uh, caused us uh, to, to come across your uh, things that are going on with uh, NASAA? Uh, was regarding senior issues, you know, and I picked up on something I read the other day about financial exploitation of seniors, that it was the fastest growing category of elder abuse, that there was, uh, I think, a statistic that quoted like one out of five citizens that are over 65 are victimized by financial fraud. Uh, What can you tell our listeners about uh, what the NASA is doing, or involvement in helping seniors out in that respect.
1: So, Dennis, it's interesting that you quote uh, that study. Um, there are any number of, of um, eye-opening statistics out there when it comes to not only financial exploitation of the elderly, but the um, sort of the size of the population and the aging of the population of the United States. Um, I think you you may have heard or others may have heard that um, 10,000 Americans turn 65 every day, and according to um, the Department of Health and Human Services, that trend is going to continue until 2030. Um, it is one of the fastest growing uh, population demographics, but it's not the fastest growing. They're actually, the fastest growing demographic are Americans who are 85 years older. Um, And the number you mentioned about financial exploitation, I've seen studies that say that um, $2.9 billion um, a year is lost to financial exploitation of seniors and the elderly. I think that number is probably underreported for any number of reasons, but it is um, a significant issue um, and one that uh, NASA has been focused on for a number of years. Um, We've redoubled our efforts in the past couple of years primarily as a result of, of these trends and these numbers that we've seen and uh, the cases and enforcement actions we were hearing from our members as well. So, um, part of our effort involved the forming of a committee uh, to study the issue and to address how we might or to develop some ideas about how we might work with industry and, and work with the regulators in combating this trend. Uh, financial exploitation of the elderly.
0: Um,
1: that work started two to three years ago in earnest um, and ultimately resulted in uh, several projects that we're pursuing, one of which was the promulgation of a, a model statute um, that uh, is designed to help protect financial... Uh, it's designed to help protect seniors and vulnerable adults from financial
0: exploitation. So the the model act is the uh, uh, title is protecting or protect vulnerable adults from financial exploitation.
1: Okay. Yep, that's correct. Yeah. And um, in a nutshell, I mean the goal the goal of the act is to provide industry um, with some new tools to help combat exploitation. Um, Though we've also done work to develop some. Um, uh, some other uh, tools and trainings that I can talk about, but I'll focus a little bit on the act itself. Um, So, it sort of loosely embodies the concept of of what's called a report and hold uh, approach, which means that uh, when a financial services professional um, has a belief that exploitation is occurring, the statute mandates reporting. Um, of that exploitation to uh state APS office or its equivalent, Adult Protective Services, um, as well as the state securities regulator. But it also gives the firm the opportunity to put a hold in place on the disbursement of any funds. Um, the Model Act would put a hold, or rather the Model Act would allow the firm to put a temporary hold of 15 business days um, while they're conducting an investigation, uh, that 15 business day hold can be extended for up to 10 business days um, with the approval of the state securities regulator, or law enforcement or state APS um, office. Um, all of it designed again to um, try to prevent uh, the money from going out the door. In our members' experience, once the money has left the institution, um, it becomes very, very difficult to recover. Uh, the statute also um, encompasses an idea that there should be a third party a, a trusted third party contact as designated by the client, so that the firm has another person to reach out to if they have concerns or questions about the transaction um, or disbursement and the idea there is that is embodied by the statute, the client is the person who, the client is the individual who determines which person a firm can contact. So we try to respect the independence and self-determination of the client by saying to the, the firm in the context of the statute, you can reach out and notify a third party about your concerns with the client or with the disbursement, but that person that you contact has to be the person that was designated by your client.
0: Now, let me ask you a question about that. So what you're saying is the the citizen, elderly person who maybe uh, potentially could be being defrauded has the right to choose a third party? Does it have to be a family member or a legal counsel? Or uh, is that the person who has the authority to choose the third party, the client themselves?
1: Yep. So um, good question. It could be any of the above. Um, I think that, you know, it's... uh, it's probably a best practice for financial professionals to have a conversation with their clients early on in the relationship to say, you know, if, for instance, you know, I might need to reach out and, and talk to someone about concerns I have about a transaction in your account, or if for some reason you might wind up incapacitated, is there a third person that I could I could uh, talk to? Now, I know... You know, in the course of our conversation, I'm making it sound a lot easier than I'm sure it actually is, but it's an important conversation to have with the client. And the client can say, you know, absolutely, uh, there is a third party, it's a third part, third party you can contact and here's their information. Um, and it could be a family member, could be, you know, um, a pastor, could be a, a lawyer, um, you know, could be a long time neighbor. Um, my understanding and talking to our members who are out there, you know having these discussions with financial professionals and with the uh, investors themselves is oftentimes it is not a family member um, it is someone outside of the family that they designate
0: yeah yeah what's some of the other provisions key things here of this model act
1: so to incentivize uh, the reporting of the um, of the suspected financial exploitation and to take the steps necessary to try to prevent the losses the act actually provides immunity from civil and administrative liability, uh, to the firms and the individuals who, in good faith and in compliance with the act, take these steps, notify that trusted third party contact, put the hold on the account, uh, you know, engage with the regulators. So, so we wanted to make sure that firms who were doing those things got the benefit of the immunity uh, in the act, so it, it does provide for those in, for immunity in the context of civil or administrative action.
0: Well, that could be really important. Uh, you know, I, I can see a firm uh, with that conundrum. Uh, you're kind of uh, to heck if you do and to heck if you don't. So uh, uh, there there has to be uh, uh, naturally some protections in there to incentivize them, incentivize them to do that. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it's uh, is that protecting the liability from uh, uh, civil action, administrative action, criminal action? Uh, is it all-encompassing in terms of its protections?
1: It's limited to civil and administrative uh, in the context of our act. Our members, um, m- most of our members, the vast majority of our members, do not have the ability to criminally prosecute violations of state security laws. Um, a couple do. Uh, but the vast majority, you know, depend on, uh, state attorneys general or, uh, district attorney or district attorneys or, or U.S. attorneys, uh, to pursue those actions. So for purposes of this act, we limited it to civil and administrative.
0: Yeah. I noticed in, uh, looking at some of the parts of the act, there was also a provision of mandatory sharing of records, uh, something to that effect. What was that about?
1: context of developing um, our Model Act, we uh, engaged our advisory council on senior issues. So we constituted this council. At the same time, we constituted our internal committee, and it's made up of um, representatives from a cross-section of disciplines, from uh, industry representatives, um, academics, uh, investor and elder advocates. Uh, as well as uh, representatives from other government agencies that focus on uh, financial uh, exploitation and issues dealing with the elderly. Um, and in the process of engaging with them and also putting our act out for public comment, which we did, um, we heard that it wasn't uncommon for uh, financial institutions to resist turning over records to state uh, adult protective services offices. Our members. Uh, when it comes to the entities they regulate, in this case primarily broker-dealers and investment advisors, have the ability to go in and conduct examinations of those firms. They also have the authority to subpoena records uh, from those firms. So it's not an issue uh, that our members were particularly aware of necessarily because because they could get these documents in most instances. But the state APS offices were saying that Financial institutions concerned about customer privacy and other issues wouldn't turn over these records or would make it very difficult. So we instituted uh, language or drafted language uh, to be clear that the firms were required to produce and turn over those records uh, to the APS offices.
0: So now we've described this as model uh, legislation and uh, I'm sure everybody, all our listeners understand that that, could be modified or tweaked or adjusted uh, to fit the needs of a particular state as it goes through the legislative process. So to really know exactly what the rules are in their state, they would need to investigate on a state-by-state level. What's the best place to go to find out if their state has enacted this model law and where they would be able to find what the, the, the guidelines for it are?
1: Very good points, Dennis. You're right that as the model makes its way through the legislative process, it may very well wind up changed slightly. We have encouraged our members, and our members are working very hard to try to get it enacted uh, in the way in which it was drafted, with the understanding that you know certain existing state laws may result in some changes to the act as it's getting uh, you know getting uh, worked on through the legislative process. Um currently um, four states have adopted uh, either the act pretty much as is or with some changes uh Vermont enacted the model by regulation almost exactly as the way it was promulgated by NASA um Alabama enacted a very similar provision as well with a change relative to third party notification um Indiana. Has a version, uh, and Louisiana as well. Louisiana's probably more significant change is that it's not a mandatory reporting provision. There were three other states that already had statutes uh, similar to the NASA model uh, prior to um, its promulgation by our members. Uh, Those were Washington, Delaware, and Missouri. Um, The easiest way to find out, um, you know, to what degree your state has adopted the act you can come to the NASA website, uh, nasaa.org, and we provide a list of um, of contacts for your state regulator. Um, We're working on trying to make information publicly available on state adoption of the the model, and to the extent we can make that available, we certainly will. There's also another website, which I would recommend that that we've developed, called uh, serveourseniors.org, um, and that website uh too has a um has a map of uh, North America. If your listeners are probably focused on um, the US side of it, but um you can scroll over your state, click on it and find contact information not only for State Securities Regulator, but also contact information for state APS offices and other agencies that are dedicated to providing resources uh, to uh, caregivers uh, and seniors. So both websites, uh, nasa.org or serveourseniors.org, contain valuable information for both uh, investors and the uh, and, uh, financial services industry.
0: Yeah, that's neat, we'll have to take a closer look at that. Uh, so I wanted to kind of ask a question maybe from a producer's standpoint, a financial advisor standpoint, what would be from your experience, uh, the one or two uh, most common telltale signs to suspect that maybe we have a senior citizen here that's being taken advantage of, uh, um, you know, what would be the, the things to, for, for a producer to keep his eye out for?
1: It's a great question, um, and there are red flags that um, um, we should certainly be aware of in the context of dealing with, um, dealing with clients. One of those is obviously, I think, um, you know, when when uh, a family member or not even necessarily a family member could be a stranger starts showing up, and as uh, part of the discussion uh, about um, needs and um, requirements for finances or insurance, um, you know, the reluctance of uh, that third party to to allow the client to meet with the producer or meet with the FA on their own. Um, inserting themselves in their business, so that one that one we hear about um quite regularly um and there also are signs uh you know not just from the standpoint of exploitation but to to make people aware that maybe perhaps um a client might be more likely to exploitation um and i don't I want to be careful here not to equate age with diminished capacity, but we know that um We know that, you know, uh, one of the risk factors for something like Alzheimer's or dementia is advancing age. So noticing a client, you know, who may not be as put together as they were in the past and maybe they're uh, missing appointments, maybe they're a little confused in about, you know, transactions, not quite as sharp as they used to be. Um, Those are, you know, some of the telltale signs that maybe we have a little issue with diminished capacity. Happening, And uh, it's important to keep an eye on that because those folks, I think, are um, even more susceptible to the improper influence that uh, leads to financial exploitation.
0: Mm-hmm. There
1: are also uh, issues related to transactions. If someone, you know, um, has, a, has, a, has a long history of you know, making deposits and withdrawals in certain amounts um, over a period of time and all of a sudden that changes, uh, that, they become more sporadic or the amount sharply increase from the, uh, withdrawal side. That very well could be a, a telltale sign that something, uh, improper is happening. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to be financial exploitation, but it's, um, you know, it's an issue to, to, to take a look at and to ask some questions about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, financial exploitation, I know we all understand that to mean that, somebody's trying to steal something. Somebody's trying to get access or hands or control over money or an asset that they're not entitled to. Uh, you know, what would be, do you have any examples of some uh, common uh, techniques or, uh, or stories of, uh, for our listeners about uh, uh, somebody who's actually uh, been involved in exploiting a senior citizen? What were they uh, then, uh, Prosecuted or guilty of doing
1: so that's very much a question um, that depends on what you know how how state law criminalizes that activity um, our you know our members have reported everything from the proverbial you know Nigerian press scam, which you know folks have unfortunately fallen for to um, cases involving um, you know prepaid cards where um yeah, where where a person is instructed to go um, buy some uh prepaid cards and come back and read the numbers um so that you know the individual on the other line can can um, take the money and it's not traceable um, you know we've had instances of outright uh, theft if um, one of our members tells the story of a of a woman who came into a credit union pretty regularly over the course of um, of her of her retirement years, and all of a sudden uh, she started showing up with a with a a family member who had never been there in the past, and and um, this family member was adamant about not leaving her side, and you know she was there to take care of to take care of the clients and. Um, eventually she stopped showing up at the credit union. Um, the credit union teller called, was told that, um, that, um, the client no longer lived there, that she had moved, uh, and the credit union teller got concerned, called the police to do a wellness check. They went in to do a wellness check and unfortunately found the client, um, basically locked in a room, being deprived of food and Mm. other sustenance. And fortunately, the story as a happier ending, they were able to to get her some medical help um, and uh, prosecute the perpetrators. Um, but um, the gamut of the prosecutions can run the, you know, can run from theft and embezzlement to even the crime specifically focused on abuse of, a, of an elderly person, physical uh, abuse.
0: Oh, that's It's interesting to hear. I mean, it's tragic and it's... Uh... Uh, I'm hoping our listeners kind of pick up that this is a, a real issue that happens to real people uh, on an everyday basis and it's important that we all are diligent and uh, paying attention uh, to what's going on out there. Uh, what are some of the other initiatives that uh, uh, the uh, NASAA is, is working on or, or that our listeners might uh, find beneficial for them?
1: So you. You made a, a good point earlier um, about the red flags, and part of that um, that effort is uh, underway within NASA in the context of a training program we call Senior Safe Training Program. So it's based on a model that was developed in Maine uh, for use with um, uh, bank and credit union tellers. Um, so we took the program with the blessing of the Maine Council Maine Council on Elderly Abuse Prevention. And uh, modified it for our uh, regulated entities and broker dealers and investment advisors, so that um, our uh, our members can go out and conduct these training programs uh, with frontline folks with client facing folks on you know recognizing the signs of financial exploitation and then the mechanics for reporting uh, financial exploitation. Um, We've had that program rolled out for um, not quite a year now, but um, last fall we did a, we, we dedicated a week to training effort in that space and we had over 70, 750 participants in states ranging from, you know, Alabama through Tennessee, Nevada, all the way out to uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, um, and a few others as well. Um, our members are continuing to do those trainings. Um, on the Serve Our Seniors website, uh, there's a calendar of training events available, uh, so folks can go check that out and see if there's, if there's one available in, in, in you know, their neck of the woods. Um, and, uh, we really think that that's a, you know, an effective program. It's sort of the hand in hand approach here, trying to make sure that we're working with the industry to give them the tools, both through the training and through the legislation to try to, um, address the problem. Financial exploitation.
0: Yeah. Say, so, I was. Uh, hasn't there also been some federal legislation introduced in Congress? Uh, I think it was called the Senior Safe Act. Uh, what's that about? And, and what's uh, NASA's position on that?
1: So you're exactly right, Dennis. Um, and, and part of the reason it's called the Senior Safe Act is uh, the Senior Safe Training Program that was developed in Maine was highlighted um in testimony before uh the Senate Select Committee on Aging. Uh that committee is chaired by um, um uh, a Maine Senator um whose uh name just escapes me right now for a second. I'll 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 go Susan Collins. There we go. Um so um Senator Collins introduced legislation uh called the Senior Safe Act. Um, and she introduced it on a bipartisan basis with um, Senator McCaskill from uh, Missouri, and, and it's basically designed to promote and encourage reporting of uh, suspected elderly financial exploitation uh, by financial services professionals from um, insurance producers through uh, bank tellers and broker-dealers and, and investment advisors. Um, it essentially uh, provides... Um, immunity from reporting financial exploitation to those uh, firms and individuals who have uh, gone through training on recognizing red flags. Um, It was introduced uh, in the prior Congress, uh, was passed in the House, came close to passing in the Senate, um, and it has been reintroduced uh, in the new Congress. It's a bill that NASA strongly supports. It has uh, broad support from... Uh, from the insurance industry, uh, the banking industry, and the regulators um, on all sides.
0: Yeah. What uh, uh, message, uh, if you had an opportunity to speak to every insurance producer or financial service advisor across the country, what kind of a message would you want to impart to them uh, about uh, looking after senior citizens?
1: I think the message is we understand that this is a complicated complex issue, Um, and it's one that lends itself to a holistic approach from the regulators and from the industry. I mean, senior financial exploitation is abhorrent. We can all agree on that. Um, And our members are dedicated to combating it, regardless of the perpetrator, be it uh, registered or regulated persons through to the unregistered or um, uh, individuals as well. Um but my ask to the industry um, is that we think about this as a as a way to work together um, because again it's not something that we're gonna have all of the answers for. We've tried to provide tools that we believe uh would be beneficial for the industry, um, to help protect investors. We've also tried to recognize um, and respect the self-determination and independence uh independence of investors. Um, while at the same time making sure that, you know, we raise the raise the visibility of this issue um, as well. So, I guess my message is, you know, this is something that I think we can work together on. Uh, we have certainly tried to. We may not always agree on the pr- approaches, uh, but we're certainly all working towards a, a common goal and a common good here, uh, and it is, based on the statistics I cited earlier, um, an issue that I think is, if we're not aggressive now, uh, it's only going to become worse and become more severe in the future
0: That is great information uh, and uh, to have and for our listeners, just to uh, uh, let you know if you tuned in, uh, our guest today is uh, Joseph Brady, who is the executive director of the North American Securities Administrators Association and uh, more information about our conversation and the topics we 're talking about today can be found at their website. Uh, NASAA.org, uh, or you can take a look at serveourseniors.org and find more information about that. And, uh, Joy, I really appreciate you dialing in today and having this conversation and, and the work that you do.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Dennis, and thank you to
0: your listeners. All Thank you. Have a great day. Oh, hi, you're still here. Say, if you are interested in reaching thousands of licensed insurance producers across the country, why not consider sponsoring a guest podcast? If you had sponsored this episode, we would be telling thousands of listeners daily about you and your company. Find our contact information to request prices and availability at insuranceradio.com.